1: Five, nine
2: and a half. I think I'm shaking though. Yeah. Yeah, but when I put my shoulders back, I look taller,
1: but I always slouch. So you look tall. I'm 5'11. Yeah. Yeah, I would have thought you were the same. No. I'm 5'3, guys. in my house.
2: (laughs) Five, three. (laughs) My daddy's like 5'7 and a half right now. Oh my word! She's twelve. I'm like, you're gonna be so tall. She's like, Mom, I don't want to get any taller. I'm like, I'm sorry. It's gonna happen. Like, it's just, it's your, it's your destiny <laughs> to be
1: <laughs> in Amazon. Jane was worried about that. I don't know if she'll catch me. I think she's five nine.
0: Yeah. Wow. Our boys I just are made that up. taller Aren't than I? Mark.
1: They're in the six six
0: range. Oh yeah, they're taller than Chris. Oh, yeah. are they? Mm-hmm. Maybe Chris is shrinking. Chris is shrinking. We had a discussion about this yesterday. <laughs> How old because is he? Because we measure ourselves. He's 43. Oh, okay. He's, we have measured ourselves. Yeah. Jaden came over and was like, Let, let's measure each other again. So we did. And I'm like, what? And I have shrunk. And Chris has shrunk. I said, that happens like when you're 70. Nope. <laughs> How much? Quite a bit. Yeah. It's very after depressing. Forty.
2: Well, I think it's after, is it after 40? It's some, some age between 20 and 40 that you you actually start
1: going backwards mm-hmm.
0: you ready yes I feel I really have, warmed up I had to uh, assimilate names for a moment okay I'm ready
2: <laughs> do you know how to say my name properly
0: I'm figuring out how to say my name with your name it's a new thing Chandra yes a lot of people where does call that me name Chandra. come from
2: so I want to say what I always tell people, but I'm not sure it's entirely appropriate. <laughs> I'm always like, I think my mom was high when she picked name. No. <laughs> Only because of the way that she chose to pronounce it. Because it is in a baby book. She found my name in a baby book. And it means it's Indian for moon. So you'll see a lot of doctors that are Indian will have like Chandra in their mm-hmm. last name or in their name somewhere. But Chandra is the typical like American pronunciation of the name, but she just, in her mind, was like Chandra. That's how she saw it
1: and read it and said it. And So you had to correct all of your teachers on the first day of school.
2: I pretty much stopped correcting people at, like, I think five. I was just like, I don't care what you call me at Mm -hmm. this point. You know, it's it's such an awkward exchange, right? Chandra? Well, it's Chandra, like cha-cha, with a hard (laughs) C-H, okay? (laughs) And they'll go, shh. And they try so hard. Some people really get it right away and some people just can't. It's it's so awkward for them and myself because they still don't get it right. But they say it and think they're saying it right. And they'll go, "Chandra, right? And I'm like, yes.
0: <laughs> there you got it. it. You Look. got it. Yeah. So
2: I just, whatever comes. I mean, I've had people add entire syllables to my name. I used to help take care of this older lady and she would call me Cassandra. <laughs> <laughs> oh. She just added a syllable
1: welcome shine podcast listeners it's brenda
0: you it's bronda there you go no it'd be bondra it's bondra it's Chandra, and <laughs> we are here i don't like
1: that with chandra mm-hmm. chandra brode is our guest today in the shine podcast studio so welcome chandra hello it's so great to have you here
2: thank you for having me
0: I've actually heard people pronounce your last name wrong. I was under the assumption it was Brody because I've heard yeah. people say Brody.
2: A lot of people do say that also. I'm oh, so
0: sorry. Mm. That's
2: okay. It's my dog's name. Well, that's oh. cool. Brody? Yeah. Brody Brode?
1: Yes. Oh. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. It was
2: It was Les's my husband's mom's dog. And okay. so we inherited Brody. And that's why his name is Brody, is because everybody also called them Brody. Brody, and so it's, it's been Brody, and this pronunciation has been passed along <gasps>
0: through generations. <laughs> All right, so, it ends here. <laughs> I named my kid Bob. No more. Yeah, I asked for it when we did Kana. We go to the doctors nonstop. They're Kana, Kana. Oh my gosh, every time I try to talk text to Can you I? and say, I have your daughter Kana,
1: it autocorrects into some weird thing. <laughs> and then, then I'm like, <laughs> so now I talk text, I'm like, I have your firstborn child with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I said Kana, Kana. It's stupid autocorrect. <laughs> It's yeah. Chandra Brode. Yes. Practice that with us, everyone. Chandra Broad. Chandra was born in Tampa Bay at the McDill Air Force Base. And she was raised in Geneva, Ohio. Geneva on the Lake. Were you in the good part of Geneva on the lake? Well, Geneva
2: and Geneva on the Lake are two separate entities. So you were not a city Geneva of on Geneva the lake. and then I did live in Geneva on the lake as an adult. I had a house down there and Grew up by the
1: lake. She graduated from Geneva High School in 1997. She started working at 13 illegally washing dishes. <laughs> Did they pay you like two bucks a night or what? Oh, they wrote my
2: hours on a like a a note card. You know, she had like a little filing thing. Yeah, my mom actually got me that job because I wanted to buy Clinique skincare from Dillard's. That's expensive. And my mom Especially was like, for a you know, your tastes are just <laughs> a little bit too expensive for us. So would you like a job? And I was like, I will work. So went down there, hand washed the dishes. There was no auto wash.
1: She's had lots of jobs. She's been a pharmacy tech soda fountain employee, a waitress, a nurse aide, EMT, a factory worker, aide at Lamar Center for Children with Disabilities, a state trooper, a caretaker for the elderly, a maintenance person, health coach, police officer for the Air Force, and a stay at home mom, and she's a painter as well. She's done it all.
0: (laughs) I have a lot of different. That's amazing and very impressive.
1: Chandra has been married to Les for 13 years. They have two kids. Devin is 13 and Addison is 12. She held her EMT certification for 20 years. She also got training in the State Highway Patrol Academy, and she's had some college experience. She's got a very interesting hobby. I don't (laughs) think we've ever had anyone here with this hobby, but she plays the bagpipes in two bands, and she competed at the World Bagpipe Championship in Scotland. Yeah, that was kind of actually a new thing. I've
2: only been Started learning the pipes in 2018. So oh, it's this is, recent.
1: Yes. You're just like, I'm going to learn how to play bagpipes. <laughs> That's kind of how it went down, actually. <laughs> a
2: friend of mine that I went through the Highway Patrol Academy with, he works at the Canfield Highway Patrol Post, and I was actually working as a maintenance person there. He was talking about starting a bagpipe band because he, his dad was originally from Dublin, and they came over, and his dad was a drummer in a pipe band. My friend learned how to play the pipes, maybe four years after that, he was like, I want to start a police, fire, military band. And I was like, I will learn the bagpipes. I will do that.
0: How do you learn the bagpipes? Like you found an instructor? Yes. He
2: actually had, there is a person in the area. I started with him and then I moved later to a different instructor out of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has a huge piping community. Carnegie Mellon has a degree program there. And then there's another piping instructor. So I've been through, been to like three different instructors. So yeah, you do have to have instruction in it. It's not something that you can just go, I'm going to learn how to play the guitar. You know how you can do through YouTube. You cannot do that with this instrument is very fickle because the maintenance of it itself is super time-consuming and understanding how the instrument functions and works and how to maintain it is time-consuming and then
0: own one yes what kind of price point are we talking to buy a set of bagpipes to get
2: anything that's really decent they have poly pipes so they're okay they're seven or eight hundred dollars but to really have a true instrument you want the african blackwood which is an endangered. endangered wood and so it gets very pricey so mine were like just over 2000 but yeah they can go super high depending on what you get if you get like real antique silver let's say you buy Uh a set of pipes from the 1920s or something because they last they're actually an instrument of war did you know that bagpipers used to actually be the direction for the regiments when they would go out and fight so the different tunes would signal them to either march forward move up on the line or retreat there's retreat marches and things like that the bagpipes can be heard for 10 miles like if it's just open air i think 10 miles oh, I believe you might that. want to google that before you put that on that. <laughs> don't it's check this really, on this podcast it's really i know it's they're a so really <laughs> <laughs> i know it's a re- it's they're so super loud you know what this is this is a testament to les brode my husband <laughs> because he just rides the wave I roll up in the house and I'm like, "I'm going to learn the bagpipes." Do you want to learn the bagpipes with me?" And he's just like, "Well, I could probably try that." And he did, but he came with me initially and we were sort of trying to learn together. I think you really have to kind of have a passion for it, you know. And sure. I had played instruments in high school, wind instruments, so I just kept on with it and now he's just like my support and now Devin's
1: playing the drums, so he's in the band's now. That's amazing. The drums, so Chandra is very new to the upper room. She found us in September of 2021, but she has jumped in feet first. She's also in the Values of the Kingdom Sunday School class. Mm -hmm. Her kids are involved in youth group and she just joined a new shine group. So it's exciting to have you with us. Mm -hmm. Chandra and her family have been residents of Columbiana for the past six years. So we're so happy to have you here.
2: I'm happy to be here. Yeah, tell Not us how, <laughs>
1: how did you find the upper room? You well, drove by it all the time?
2: I actually went back to work for about a year full time. And near the end of that, it was like just past a year of working, I started to really feel like God was saying... Where are your priorities, lady? Mm. I was working every Sunday. I couldn't get a schedule. There was very little hope that I was ever going to get a schedule that I had Sundays off or it would take several years. Just because I was a a police officer out at the Air Force Base in Vienna, and it's all based on, like, seniority, how long you've been there. So I was working third shift for a long time. And then I was going to school full-time, and then I moved to first shift, and I was still going to school full-time, and I was just kind of got into this, like, survival mode. He was really like, where are your priorities? And so I I remember very vividly one day sitting in one of the cruisers, and I wrote out, what are my priorities, you know, or what do I want them to be? Mm -hmm. And I just put God, and then I put, you know, my health, because I just really truly feel like if you don't have your health, it's hard to serve anybody below that line, you know, and then I put my family and I asked myself the question, is this job serving these three priorities? Well, me working here, it really wasn't. You know, I was pretty stressed out, just busy, overscheduled, like I'd overscheduled myself with being in school full time and going back to work full time. And so I made the decision to come back home I did and I said, okay, God, I'm going to do this now. And now I just like need a church. So if you could just hook me up with one, that'd be great. (laughs) And I remember very clearly he put the image of this like building in my head. And it was in my memory because I'd driven by it so many times, you know, just living in the area. And I was like, oh, you know, I've never looked at that church before. Oh, my gosh. this is going to make me cry. I never looked at that church before. So I got online and started stalking the sermons and, like, the page and listened to a couple of Chris's sermons from the COVID time there was a lot of content there. And I was just like, oh, this is very good. I felt like it was really relevant, especially because a lot of the information I was hearing was really empowering Christians on how to live in this world now. And it was relevant to today. The first time I visited this church, it was the culmination of the sex talk series where you know he was answering all the questions from the congregation. And I was like, well, this is relevant. I was <laughs>
1: like, this is great. What a week to
2: come. Yeah. But it was awesome because I was like, well, they're not shying away from the uncomfortable issues. They're hitting this stuff head on. And they're really empowering their congregation on how to serve God and love people. That stood out to me and I just felt right at home. I mean, you're basically accosted with kindness as soon as you come through the door. You're just like accosted. (laughs) Everybody's saying hi. Everybody's like welcoming you and
1: they understood the assignment. (laughs) Yes.
2: I know your assignment, right? I'm a section greeter now too. Yes. So right. But yeah, God really in that obedience, he came through because I had other means of making money. I have been working as a health coach kind of on the side, on and off for about five years, and that is flexible. I can do that from anywhere. So,
1: Well, we're happy you're here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell us,
2: who or what turned your light on? When I was younger, my experience with church was through other people. We didn't go to church like full-time, anything as a family, but we had a lot of caretakers and babysitters, and we would stay overnight and then go in the morning to church. And so... I actually got baptized when I was maybe 13, 12 or 13, but I think like without that mentorship and without that consistency, I really didn't understand how to be a follower of Christ. I kind of went away from that, and as I got older, I just sort of started trying on different religions. And so for a while, I actually looked into Buddhism, and I found a little group that actually brought in Tibetan Buddhist monks. I explored that for a few years, because it was really doing it in your own will. It was, you can do this, you know, it was self-revelation. And I have always been the type of person who just, I can do it. You know, I can do it myself. I'm independent, I can do it. That spoke to me. And, you know, so I looked into a lot of different religions to see where's the answer, where's the answer. I was always searching, always learning. And none of it really was a good fit. It's just, obviously, it's man-made stuff. After I had the kids and everything, I mean, this is like years later, right? I was kind of an atheist for a while, because I just really didn't think there was really anything there. After I searched all these other religions out, I was like, well, then maybe there's nothing. And my husband was working in the highway patrol as a sergeant, and they called him one day and said, hey, what do you think about moving out to Van Wert and being a post commander out there? And he called me, and it was kind of a joke, because Van Wert is like the farthest place west you can go in the state as far as patrol posts. It used to be the joke like, oh, you're going to Van Wert or you're going to Portsmouth, or you're going to Ashtabula. And I was like, oh, you're so funny. I thought he was kidding. And he's like, no, seriously, they want to know if like, we'll go over there. And I said, well, if that's where you, where you want to be, you know, I'm, I'm just here with the kids. So yeah, we'll go. And that's where God really broke me down. I was so isolated and so lonely. And we moved to a small town that was 98% catholic the catholic church was right in the middle of town and if you didn't go to the catholic church and you didn't you weren't raised in that town not that people weren't nice they were very very nice there but it was like very hard to connect with people everybody had their established groups You know, and I was, I felt so lonely. I had two young kids, three and four at the time, and I just was really isolated. So put them in preschool. And one of the moms in the preschool approached me one day and she said, well, Ellie tells me that she's marrying Devin. So I guess we should be friends. Her daughter was like (laughs) four, you know, and I said, okay, you know, yeah, I'll be your friend. That sounds great. So we had a play date and she was playing Christian music. They were staying in a house that had the old radio, that piped music through all the rooms. Really cool. And I was like, oh, what, what are you listening to? And she's like, oh, this is just the Christian station. And I was like, oh, that's that's great. And she was like, yeah, that's just, you know, how we raise our family. And I said, well, good for you. I mean, I was like a cheerleader for other people doing that. But I was just like, had no real interest in it myself. And then out of desperation, she says, well, why don't you just come? She goes, it's not Catholic. It's just a Bible-based church. It's really great. Why don't you just come once? And I just was desperate for adult interaction. And I mean, I was driving back four and a half hours as many weekends as I could just to be with my old friends and have some sort of community. But that really wasn't healthy. You know, Mm -hmm. I had like one foot out the door there and I was trying to constantly. So... I said, okay. So I went into this little church and it felt very much like here where you come in and people were kind and they were just really doing a lot of life together. And I was a total fraud. I didn't believe in God at all at that point. I was just like, I'm coming. I'm going to sit in the pew. my kids are going to have friends now. This is going to be great. I was thinking of it as just like completely transactional. The social club. But I also felt like, are the walls going to come down? You know, that, that typical, I'm going to get, maybe God is out there and he's not going to like the
0: fact that I'm a fraud <laughs> like sitting in the pew. No, that was like my grandpa. He would always refuse to come to the church because he said like, as soon as he'd go in, he'd be struck by lightning. I often said that.
2: <laughs> I can think of many times that I had that come out of my mouth. And it was usually like if I had to go to a funeral. And you had to go to a church. It was like, ooh, you know, you get that feeling. Yeah, but after I went, I started getting involved in a women's study, and I just asked a lot of questions and really just pestered them for answers. I was just like, what do you mean, like, Jesus had to die on the cross? That doesn't even make sense. I was completely oblivious. God just chiseled away at my hardened little heart. You know, I would sit in the pew, and I would worship and feel like a complete fraud, But I was seeking still. I was seeking relationship with other people. And through that, he worked in me. After a while, you know, I didn't really understand all of it, but I was willing to accept it. And I could see what these people, how they lived was really a true testimony. They didn't even care that I didn't know. And I asked all those questions and they were so patient to answer all of them. And they just wanted to be with us. They wanted my kids to be there. They wanted us to be there. It was such a great time in our life when we had that community. And then Les's dad got real sick and we tried to transfer back. It just didn't, it wasn't happening There were opportunities for the highway patrol to transfer less. And instead, they promoted people. And it was really hard to handle. We were just like, why wouldn't they transfer us? Like, we've been out here almost three years. We've put in our time. And it was hard. It created a little bit of better, you know, you were just like, come on, we, you know, we need to get back there. Three months after his dad passed away, they gave him the transfer and we came back. It was a difficult time for our family, but it was also like we lost our community I I didn't immediately start searching for another church. I just, we were just like so overwhelmed and really it all kind of went on the back burner. You know, we were so new. I was so new in my faith. So for years, we just kind of floundered and then his mom got sick. It was about that time that I started going, okay, we really need to find somewhere. We need to get back to church. We need help. This is too much. So we visited a few And I don't want to say like you can't find good in all churches because you really can. You know, if you're seeking Jesus, he's going to fill your cup. But I just felt like we went to a couple and it just wasn't it. And then went on that other diversion of going back to work full time. And then it wasn't even possible in my schedule. You know, I was even looking at churches to see who has a Wednesday night service uh, we can go to because Sunday's not an option. For set many for years that we've been out here, it's been a little bit like we've been off track, you know, without the community. And so it seems like it's been forever. But now that we have, I feel we're rooted somewhere again. God is just opening the floodgates. It's very good. It feels good to be somewhere again.
1: How how did your life change when Jesus became real to you and it wasn't like I, it sounds like people with skin on introduced you to him? You know, you were looking for that connection and people reached out and were that mm-hmm. to you. But eventually they lead you to Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, like it can't be them. How did that impact your life when you finally were like, Yes, yeah, so I I need Jesus? I think at that
2: time, when we were living over there, it was really easy to like follow him because it was just, it was such an easy time in our life. We were just, we were living life. We started in this community. We didn't really have anything that we were facing that was like major. And the change was that it just felt like you know, you were convicted. If you were starting to go off a different way or you were starting to live more in the flesh, he would give you that conviction to kind of bring you back. But with the community there and everything being so tight knit, it just felt like it wasn't a struggle. And so that was the change. It was just like the conviction and like it just felt easy this is makes sense. This is the way to do this, right? This is the way to do life. You do life with other people and then you let Jesus tell you where to go and how to do it. When we were like ripped out of that community by the death of his dad, it was hard. I mean, it was hard. I really lost sight of Jesus at that time. And I wasn't following him and I wasn't letting him lead me. And I hadn't been in that relationship with Jesus for so long. It was easy to fall back into old patterns and old ways of coping and old ways of being. So I've, I've lived most of my life without him. But how it changes you is it's just where you're constantly seeking love and approval. You're seeking worldly things to fill you up. You know, when you come back to him, even if like in my case where you didn't have him most of your life and then you found him and then you kinda of walked away for a while and then you're back again. He just immediately is there again. He's not mad at you because you kinda of went your own way for a while. He doesn't miss a beat. Mm. You know? it
1: reminds me of the story of the We call you know, the prodigal son, but it's really about the loving father who yep. let his son go. You know, he didn't have to give him his inheritance and let him go, mm. but he did and He was waiting, and when he came back, he was like, we're throwing a party, he ran to meet him, he put his robe on him, he put the ring on him, he gave him his sandals, he's like, kill the fatted calf, we're having a party. And God leaves the 99 and chases after Mm -hmm. the one who's lost, and there's more rejoicing in heaven when that one is saved than all the ones that were fine. (laughs) And that's such a beautiful picture, and I think Mm -hmm. I've experienced that, and I think... Once you've experienced that love, it's like I just don't want to be Mm -hmm. out of it. Yeah, I really looking back, I'm like,
2: oh man, I wish I would have just you know, you do the I wish game, and it's (laughs) so it's so futile. But I did pray when I was prioritizing and figuring out, okay is how I'm living my life, really meeting the priorities that I've outlined. And I just prayed, I said, I know what I need. And I had this in the other church. I had strong Christian women who had been following God for a long time, who were wise. And when I would, in my newness of following him, had questions or would say, okay, now what? And I remember very specifically a a mentor, the pastor's wife, Nance said, this is where the rubber meets the road you get that initial feeling of love and indwelling and then life happens. It's so easy to just let your circumstances overwhelm you and draw you back into old patterns. And so I prayed when I was sitting in my, I was like, I prayed for a place where there was strong female mentorship and leadership and I cannot believe the amount of women in this church that are just, you know, I listen to the Shine podcast. I listen to a lot of people's stories, and I'm just amazed. It's really super concentrated here. If you're a woman and you're looking for mentorship and you're looking for growth and you're looking to build a relationship with Jesus, this place is just like full, full to the brim of that. So that was really an answered prayer for me, too. We do have the most amazing, amazing
1: women in our midst.
2: Yeah, definitely humbled by people's stories, just amazing Mm -hmm. stories of faith. And, but yeah, all those years that I was, worked as a state trooper and worked on the squad and all of that, I never knew Jesus then. And I just think back like, oh, how I would have been able to serve him so much better in those roles if I would have been there, but
1: it's okay. He wastes nothing in our wilderness. (laughs) I feel like with God, God's not in a box and so can take you now and use you exponentially Mm -hmm. when you're ready and willing and letting him mold you and walking in obedience. He wants to use you. That's what I love about God. It's like, if you're willing i mean look at think about the disciples they were just like hey dude come with me (laughs) yeah (laughs) they were a raggedy band Mm -hmm. of adolescent teenagers and young young adults and they turned the world upside down with Mm -hmm. jesus because they were willing willing to go that way and so i think sometimes we think oh you've got to have 10 years experience Mm -hmm. and have a theology degree and (laughs) jesus is like nope Um, he calls the willing yeah that's true, and he gives willing. you grace and he gives you what you need. So that's inspiring to me.
2: Yeah. I know he was in my life then. I mean, I know he was in my life. There were so many instances where he plucked me right out of situations that were, that could have been the end, really. You know, when I started in the patrol, I was 23. So I was pretty young. I had a few years of EMS under my belt. So I felt like I can do this. I have life experience. And then, you know, went through the academy and felt tougher after that. I'm like, oh, now I'm prepared. I know all the things. I know all the laws. And I know how to do this. I look tall in my Stetson, so I'll be able to intimidate people to do what I want now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I felt really prepared. And so, you know, I went out on the road and I just, I wasn't prepared for people's anger. Because when I worked in EMS, everybody loves you. You show up and they're just like, yes, thank you for coming. Nobody nobody likes the police, so it was kind of like a culture shock for me. I was like, wait a minute, you can't swear at me. Um, <laughs> you know, it was hard to get used to that. And then um, just not being liked at all in a lot of situations. But also, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, you're completely out there by yourselves. A lot of times I worked in Ashville County, which is the largest county area-wide in the state of Ohio. So it could take 30 minutes running lights and sirens to get from one end of the county to the other. And the year that I started, the sheriff laid off the entire sheriff's department, citing that there was no funding. So they would have one lieutenant and one sheriff's deputy riding in one car together for the entire county. And this is a county that might have five Critical 911 calls happen in the summer at one time. So it was pretty dire. We didn't have backup. We had a few local departments, very small, through the areas that we would travel through. A lot of times, like if you were stationed in the south end of the county, one trooper might be working the north end of the county and one might be working the the south. There was typically only two of us out. I think at that time we had maybe 10 troopers working total. All three shifts. It was usually just me and one other trooper. I worked afternoons, so you got tons of crashes, and a lot of times you would get somebody who was impaired in one of those crashes. You're out there by yourself, really. You have no backup. You're just pulling cars over and throwing up prayers here and there. I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) don't believe in God, but you sure pray to him when (laughs) stuff starts going wrong, Mm -hmm. right? In that moment, I just did it. Just did that, and a couple times I almost got run over. I had a car pulled over and she parked, she stopped in a really bad spot. And it's like, you can't control where people stop. Parked in a bad spot and people were having to get around us and I couldn't let her move the car because she was suspended and the car had fictitious plates and it was like gonna get towed. The tow truck came and I opened my back door to get a form because we always had to inventory the vehicles before they would leave. And I was standing there and I bent over to get my form and a car came right behind me and hit my back door. It was like within inches. You know, it was so close. In his statement, he said, I saw her. I just didn't see the door.
1: And God's hand was on you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Another time I was out investigating a crash. We had several troopers on the road taking uh, measurements and just sort of like getting the scene together. It was a pretty bad crash. And there was no other cars coming. It was like a four-lane road. But it was kind of late, so there wasn't a lot of traffic. All of a sudden, this car comes from out of nowhere. And I had my back to traffic because I was marking the roadway to take measurements to. All of a sudden I just had this notion to turn around and I turned around and I just see headlights coming at me, you know, super fast. And I just, I could hear the tires start of them breaking and I just put my hands on the hood and just pushed off the hood and pushed myself to the side. And if you talk to anybody in law enforcement or any state trooper, they all have stories where they were almost hit. That's the bigger fear actually is not getting beat up or anything. It's just getting run over because you're just out there. God, several times, I believe, intervened you know, in those situations. So
0: That's wild. Mm-hmm.
2: Do you miss that? I loved being a trooper. I really feel like that was a good fit for me. At the time, Les was working as a sergeant, and he was working the fill shift, which is three different shifts in one week. So he would work... Two afternoons, one day shift, and two midnight shifts. It was awful. He he did that for over two years. When I got pregnant with Devin, we had to make a decision. How are we going to do this? Every six months as a trooper, you bid based on seniority. Your shift and your days off and things like that changes. So twice a year, somebody with more seniority can come in and bump you. So there's not a lot of stability in that. I had had that happen several times. Your line that you normally bid on might have Thanksgiving off. So a more senior trooper might bid that for that period because they want to have that day. We just decided together that I would just put that aside and stay home. I'm grateful because I do think that we were Christian then. We weren't following God then we just but I think I probably had his hand in that because it's very Mm -hmm. hard to have two people working in law enforcement in the same house Mm -hmm. like with kids and you you stay late sometimes like especially if you're on the road like Christmas Eve I think the second year I was a trooper and this just sticks in my mind very specifically this was before kids and before less I handled a double fatal where an eight and a 10 year old boy were ejected out of a car and killed and that came in at the very end of my shift and ended up staying, and I don't think I got home till like you know three in the three or four in the morning. It's very tumultuous. If you arrest somebody who's impaired late in your shift, and it and you find evidence on them or drugs, then you have to process all that. It Can take a really long time, and so you don't have that assurity that I need to go get five kids. O- <laughs> five o'clock. Yeah, you're leaving. So I'm I'm glad, but I did love that job, and mm-hmm. I think that's why I was feeling like when this opportunity came up to go
1: out to the base, I was like, Oh, man, I really liked that career field. So I'm gonna go try that again. But nope. So tell us, Chandra, what lights you up?
2: Well, I have a I've been asking this a lot of myself, because I'm like, what does light me up? I don't know. I'm (laughs) kind of in this year of self exploration. I think learning really, really lights me up, because I like to help people move forward. I'm a problem solver. If you came this morning and you were like, oh, you know, I just got this going on. I'd be like, oh, let's talk. Let's get this fixed. Let's do it. (laughs) We're going to come up with some solutions. We're going to get the old Google out. We're going to figure it out. Really helping people, you know, discover their own abilities. And I just have a great passion for learning. I health coach on the side. And I think that is something I I enjoy that so much. Just seeing people transform usually starts with like oh i just want to change a couple things and lose lose a little bit of weight but really it's personal growth a lot of what we do in the company that i work for is personal growth 90% of it's personal growth it's nutrition in there too but a lot of it's personal growth because
1: it's in the mind where we transform mm-hmm. right
2: yeah, and so great.
1: i love that. that i didn't know this i thought i was just geeky or a nerd but learning's one of the strengths in the strength finders being a learner
2: and I didn't even like really think of it as a positive thing until later in my life. I always thought, oh, I'm just, I'm scatterbrained. I want to go learn the bagpipes this week. And I want to go do this this week. And I'm to learn how to knit. And I did candle making for the amount of <laughs> hobbies. My husband's like, what are we doing this week? I just love to try new things and learn new things. I always thought, well, maybe this is a negative thing. Because I'm always like flitting from one thing to another. I think there has to be balance there. You have to take some things to completion. You can't just always be starting things and letting them fall off. But I also am a huge proponent that if you're doing something and you don't like it, don't just keep doing it so you can be consistent. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I kind of hate that mentality, too, where, you know, like I tell my kids, like, if we've bought uniforms for something, you've got to do it for the season. But if after this season, it's not your jam and you just really don't like it, we're not going to just keep doing it for the sake of doing it.
1: Well, tell us, how are you letting your light shine in this season of your life? I don't know.
2: I I didn't have an answer to this question. I'm like, how am I letting my light shine? I don't know that answer. I do try to be helpful wherever God asks me to be helpful. Recently, my neighbor, he just passed away, but... He his health had deteriorated, and I felt God saying, "Like you're gonna have to get involved in this. You need to go over, and I'll help you with what he needs." And I did feel very led to do that, and it was such a blessing in my life to have that opportunity to help him because he really needed the help. But a lot of times, people don't reach out. You know, they just suffer in silence. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of put your foot in the door and push your way in a little bit, and then. <laughs> build that trust. I'm kind of just trying to build that relationship with Jesus right now and have him guide me to
1: where he would have me be a light to others. One thing that I love about you, Chandra, is that you've already invited people to church and people are coming and like her goal is to fill up a whole entire row. (laughs) Yep. I'm getting there. And, you know, <laughs> you have so something good. that you've been affected by, and it's been a positive impact. You don't want to hide that. You want to bring people along and say, listen, you can have this too, because Jesus is here for you too. And so a lot of times people are just very private about that, or they do church by themselves, or they have two different worlds. You know, they they go to church and there's a little community there, but then out in the world or in their family, they're like, coexist separately. And you're inviting people into that space that's been so helpful and life changing for you. And you're, you're an inviter. That's a
2: new thing for me. Actually, that was not always something that I I did or felt comfortable with. But I've got a list in my head, they don't know who they are. (laughs) But I have a list in my head. You know, I think Jesus has definitely opened my heart to want to be that person to be like, just come. There's really nothing better. I mean, like I said, I I lived my whole life before I was an adult with children without Him. There's nothing that compares in this world Mm -hmm. to having that relationship and having community. And I am a firm believer: you can't have one wholly without the other. Good, you know, you can be a part of a community, but Mm -hmm. without that relationship with Jesus or trying to build that, you're not gonna be blessed in that community wholly. Without the community, God can't bless you. So, I feel like that's something we've been
0: talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, even in Values of the Kingdom and what Chris has been talking about. He just keeps repeating the idea that it's not fully Christianity and it's not fully following Jesus unless there's community, unless there are people Mm -hmm. that you're doing life with, because the fullness or everything that Jesus has intended for us comes with people. The fullness is relationships. The fullness Mm -hmm. is community. And that, you know, oftentimes it just becomes like you were saying, Beth, you know, we have our lives here and we have our lives outside of here. And isn't that the norm But that's why I love, like, when we talk about values and we talk about our who and our why and our how, it's transforming lives that transform communities. It's that, like, our lives are transformed. Like you're saying, like, change comes in the mind. Our beliefs change. But in that changing and that transforming... You know, we don't stay in our little spots here, in our chairs, in our rows at church. Like the idea and God's heart is to transform communities. Mm -hmm. And that's how you do it. Oh, my gosh. One person at a time where you're like, Mm -hmm. hey, I found something I lived my whole Mm -hmm. life without. And now I found this is an experience that you have to have, too. You have to know Jesus. I mean, that's it. You're doing that.
2: I always laugh because it's like when you have your high school friends that you haven't seen in forever and ever and ever meet, your adult friends that and that (laughs) those two groups have never connected. And it's kind of this awkward like, you know, oh, you know, for me it's like I'm trying to bring people in that they know all the bad stuff about me. They know all the bad habits I've had and all the kind of the stuff I've done and they're like, wait a minute, what are you doing? You know, kind of a thing. I'm like, no, really, come on, we're gonna do this. Come on. But yeah, it's it can be awkward if you've created that vision. It can be awkward to integrate, but yes. no, there's nothing bad that's going to happen with it. I don't feel nervous about that anymore. I'm just <laughs> like, it's all going to be good. God just loves. We've been going over that. And I think that personally, my whole life, I've just been looking for that unconditional love and trying to work to get it from other people and from situations. And it's exhausting. But Mm -hmm. it's not exhausting with God. Like, you don't have to work. You just have to be able to receive it. That's so special.
1: Mm -hmm. You can
2: stop focusing on all of these time-consuming things that lead to nothing and start putting your energy into something that's really going to impact lives. And I think that's something that I would like to do. I would like to impact a lot of lives. I mean, Mm -hmm. something God has put on my heart just in this community is the need for a senior center, a senior community center, I I tend to like bring seniors into our lives. I just adopt them. Like you know, we we're having a retirement party down at Birdfish for one of his troopers and there was an older gentleman just sitting down there alone like his table was kind of abutting ours and we were going to end up spreading to that table and we knew it so I was like hey listen we're kind of we got a party going on here but you're welcome to like just be in our group just come over and sit and I was like where are you from he's like I'm from here and you know his wife had passed away and he was just there because he didn't have social opportunities you know we brought him into our group and he hung with us the whole night. And then since then, we've brought him with us to other things, you know, to bagpiping and stuff. But that's what really kind of planted that little seed is that there really isn't a lot of opportunity here for like the elderly that I know of. Even my mom is like, oh my gosh, the community center that they had up in Ashtabula, it was like they could go there and eat lunch and play cards or do whatever, you know, and just have that time. So that's one way that, you know, I would like to maybe impact the community as God leads me to do that. I don't know.
0: That's so interesting. We had dinner. My mom and dad, they they went to Florida. They're on their way back right now. But like right before Florida, we had dinner. And my dad was like, I really feel like Columbiana needs a community center. (laughs) Why? Why don't we have a community center? Like Salem has a nice one. Boardman has the YMCA. Like everyone can go there. You can go to the city. Like, Mm -hmm. why don't we have something in Columbiana? It's such a nice place and it's growing and it's thriving. Mm. Like, can we do something about that? So that's so interesting yeah. that that like is on your radar because we just had a conversation about that yeah. last week. <laughs> I think that because there's so many
2: people that don't have a place to go and there's nothing that kills the soul faster than being lonely. Oh, it's awful. I mean, I felt that when I moved over there. I just was so isolated. And when you're older and you're you're still thriving and you want to still have connection. So we'll
0: see where that goes. Okay, I like that. Like
2: Bess said, we just need the money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Last question, apart from your near accidents, yeah, right. do you have a supernatural story that you like to share with us?
2: I feel like the those times where God really intervened in those moments mm-hmm. specifically. I mean, I prayed about this this morning because I'm like, God, you know, that's what He showed me. He was like, Remember those times you almost got run over, <laughs> and just. I did listen to other people, and they had very specific, like, confirming this was supernatural, and that's so inspiring. But How about your Sozo? Oh, yeah. My Sozo was so good. Yeah, that was, as soon as I heard about it, as soon as somebody gave the description of what that was, I was like, I need that as soon as possible. Because <laughs> we do carry a lot of hurt from the past, you know, and I grew up, my stepdad and I did not get along He had a lot of things that he was fighting through. You know, he used alcohol to cope with a lot of his disappointments in life and got away from him. And his negativity was constantly brought to my plate. In that time growing up, I just constantly heard words of, you're not doing good enough, you're not good enough, you're not going to be good enough. I carried that with me. The positive thing of it was that it made me want to work really hard to prove him wrong. But the negative of it is your core belief then is I have to work really hard because I'm not deserving. And when I went into Sozo, a lot of that came up and was immediately healed. And I thought that I had forgiven my dad for all of those years where he poured his negativity into me. And he's since passed away. And it got easier to think I forgave him the longer he's been gone, right? Because you don't have that negativity anymore. So you're like, that distance makes you think, yeah, I've forgiven that. But I really hadn't forgiven him. And through the sozo, I was able to offload I think of the Titanic, you know, the old crates that they load people's stuff, those big trunks. I just unloaded tons of that, you know, that weight that you're carrying that you don't even know is there because you've been carrying it for so long. But then once it's gone, you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I was carrying that for so long. And it was so heavy and how it affects how you are with other people. Just all of that was really transformed in an instant. You know, I believe in that ministry and I think the Holy Spirit can heal in ways that, and I go to counseling too. Don't get me wrong. I'm doing it all. I'm like, <laughs> I want all the healing. Even like my misconception, even with current things that I struggle with is that it has to be, it has to be this walk through the desert. I have to go through all these trials to get to the other side of it. And it doesn't have to be that way. God can heal in an instant and can free you from that. And so I think that was really supernatural. And I started just yelling at people about it like afterwards, too. Sunday school, I'm like, everybody here needs to get so zoned. Then I'm like, <laughs> every class, I'm like, this is amazing. So I'm a real shout it from the rooftops. Like, it was
1: great. Should do it. I should all over people.
0: I should all over people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chandra, we're so happy that you're here with us and that you are one of our amazing women in our midst. And it's been great to get to know you and hear your story and appreciate you coming in today.
0: Yes, thank you guys. Yeah, so good. That was wonderful.
1: Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.